John chapter 12 in your Bibles. John chapter 12. We are continuing in our Journeying with John series. Our Journeying with John series. And uh, man, we're moving through this thing. We are moving through this thing and I've been having a good time with it. And I hope that you have um, also. I hope you've been learning some stuff. Anyone been learning anything? Yeah. I hope you have. Um, I've been learning a bunch from this and the Lord's been really speaking the Lord's been really speaking to me on it, and uh, we're only on chapter 12. We're a little bit over halfway, just a little bit, um, but we still got a long way to go. And so uh, I guess we'll just uh, have to just see how long it takes us. I mean, we started this series back in, uh, in May of last year, and um, we probably won't finish until the beginning of next year, to be honest with you, if this is how far we got. But what's the rush, right? right. We're just taking it verse by verse, and... Um, people always ask me, they say, hey, pastor, uh, what is, is there any book of the Bible that you would recommend me to read um, as a believer, you know, as a new believer? Um, and I always tell them two books. I always say the Gospel of John and the, and the Psalms. Uh, number one, because they're not super, super difficult to understand. But um, second, because if you really want to get to know the Savior, um, John is all about him. It's all about him. And then Psalms, because it is just so encouraging. And so uh, I hope that uh, this study tonight will be a blessing to you. So let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive right into John chapter 12. Dear Lord, we ask you to meet with us here in this place, Father. Uh, I pray that you would speak to the church the way that you spoke to me, um, that we would uh, be vessels to be used for you, Father, and that, uh, that we would be a people that would uh, proclaim your name proudly. Uh, Father, help us to just be more like you and live victorious Christian lives. And in Jesus' precious and holy Son's name we pray and we're thankful. Amen. All right, so we will pick up in verse 36. In verse 36, it says this. Um, well, let's back up to verse 35, which is where we were last week. It said, Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While, he ha while ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. So you ever see where people talk about, uh, well, they'll talk and they'll be like, mic drop, right? Like, and they'll walk away. That's kind of the, the, the kind of uh, idea that I kind of got from this when they were talking about it. But something stuck out to me from that verse. Um, he says, uh, while you have the light, believe in the light that ye may be the children of light. I don't want to get to jump into my takeaways already, but um, are you a child of light? Are you a child of light? And if so, does it show? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, you have it. But which one are you? Are you the one that hid it under a bushel? Are you the one that let Satan it out? Or are you the light that's going to shine until Jesus comes? But while you have the light, believe in the light, and you will be a child of light. And of course, there's going to be some, some further explanation we can make from that verse. Verse 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, Yet they believed not on him. 
So they had seen him do a bunch of stuff, right? We believe strictly on faith, right? right? For you believe by faith and not by, right? We walk by faith and not by, right, right? But then imagine them having faith, a tangible faith, because the, the Messiah was walking amongst them, right? Now imagine that it's not even so much that they have to believe, oh, this is the Messiah, but he's done a bunch of stuff. That I mean, most of what we've been talking about for the past two chapters or so was the people are still talking about Lazarus. And they know about all the stuff that has gone on, and yet it says that they believed him not. They believed him not. Wow. Verse 38. That the saying, that the saying of Esaias, the prophet, might be fulfilled. <coughs> Which he spake, Lord, who hath believed the report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so it's been prophesied that, hey, they're not going to listen. Not going to listen. Who has it been revealed to? Who has it been, who has, you know, who has heard, uh, who has heard these things? Uh, who has believed our report? Who has believed our report? And so that's something that's going on. That was, they knew it was going to happen, right? Christ knew that they were going to, he was going to preach to the world. By the way, that's a lot about the prophet Jeremiah. Anybody ever read uh, uh, Jeremiah? What book comes after Jeremiah? Who knows? Lamentations. The word lament means to weep viciously, right? But what was going on through all, what, 33 chapters of Jeremiah was saying, the repent for the Lord is at hand. Repent, repent, repent. And there are times where the Bible says, Jeremiah is also known as the what? Who knows his nickname? The weeping prophet. Where he would proclaim the name of the Lord, proclaim God's truth to the people. And what would happen? They would not, they would not listen. Until what? Their demise was upon them, right? It always just breaks my heart that back then and now, we won't listen until destruction's upon us. Like, why wait, why wait to see if it's poison? You know what I'm saying? Why drink it? Well, I'm just going to drink it anyway. We'll just, whatever happens, happens. And why, that is such a negligent Christian walk. Is I'll just do what I want and we'll see what happens. But it was prophesied, man. Saying, who has received that report? Who has believed on him? And it was already prophesied that they wouldn't do that. But the prophecy uh, gets a little bit worse. Um, where am I at? Verse 38. Verse 39. Therefore they could not believe because that Esaias said again. What kind of punctuation is after that word again in your Bibles? A comma, right? Right? So, uh, therefore they could not believe because that Esaias said again. He said what? Verse 40. He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts and be converted and I should heal them. The Bible, the New Testament has a term for what this is. Anyone know what that term is? No. He hardened their heart. He made it so that they couldn't see. There's a term for it. Anyone know? Starts with an R. Reprobate. A reprobate. 
right? And what is the definition of a reprobate? A reprobate is someone who is given over to what? Something they already wanted to do. Case in point, Pharaoh in Egypt. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart so that he couldn't, so that he wouldn't let the people go? Yes. But if you read that scripture, what happens a bunch of times before that happens? And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And he would not let the people go. And he would not let the people go. And he hardened his heart. So God said, all right, fine. Fine. I'm just going to leave you. And what happens is a lot of times, based on how scripture presents it, a reprobate mind, when he says, I'm going to leave you to what you're already going to do, all God has to do is remove his influence. You understand that, right? God doesn't have to be like, well, you know what, Pharaoh? You're cursed now to just do what you want to do. He says, no, I'm just going to remove my factor and just let you do what you want. Because based on Romans 1, what do we find out? That man is, is evil in his heart continually. And, and without the acts. And think about this. The tribulational period is just man doing what they want. What is absent during the tribulation period? The Holy Spirit. Which is the comforting mechanism, the driving mechanism, the changing mechanism, the, the, the what's the word I'm looking for? The, the convicting mechanism, all of those things that the Holy Spirit is way more active in your life than you know. Way more. And that's what it's like. And the two times in the Bible where it talks about the absence of the Holy Spirit. First off, when it talks about the absence of his Holy Spirit, it's in two places. Who knows where those, those places are? What's the first place? The absence of the Holy Spirit. And that's not present. Post-church age. Two places where there is no Holy Spirit. The first place is that in the tribulation time, right, when he's remo- the, spirit of, the Holy Spirit is removed from earth and in hell. There is no Holy Spirit. And what do we know about both of those places? Complete and utter anarchy. Chaos. Wars and rumors of wars, right? Fulfilled. Death, decay. This world doesn't realize it and they want to put God out so bad they will ultimately receive that. And when he truly removes himself from the picture, it is not pretty. How many of us are doing just that? Their, their eyes are blind. Their hearts are hardened. Aren't, they aren't able to be converted. But the worst part is that fourth aspect is that they won't be healed. They won't be healed. There are so, I said this earlier this week that the world is fighting so desperately for love and they, don't, they would rather be alone than to have it from Christ who gives it freely. And the world was like, well, the world would rather suffer than to surrender. Which kills me. I don't get that. And even within the body of Christ, there are believers who would rather suffer than surrender. May I remind you that the pleasures of the world are for a what? A season. Does not last long. Does not last long. We got to be so careful. Verse 41. These things said Esaias when he saw his glory and spake of him. So he sees the glory of God. And he prophesies this thing. Verse 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. I read that today, y'all, and I was like, wow. 
But you know what? I've seen it. You guys ever look around during invitation time? And think about all the years we've done, we've done camp. And all the counselors are at the front of the room and we say, okay, bow your head and close your eyes. And you can see on some of the faces some of the kids who were convicted by the sermon. And some will, yes, they'll give the invitation. And the Lord has just wring their heart out so much they'll just get up immediately and come forward and find someone to pray with them or give them direction or, or whatever. But there's also a handful of kids who will look up and they'll look around because they cut up all service with all their friends and were convicted but they don't want to seem uncool by going forward and so they, they look around first and we see something kind of like happening here where the chief ruler where he says, man, the, some of them, this is a group of them among, nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, how many? What, what does the quantity say? Many. Not one, not two, not a few, but many. But many. I would arguably say that it sounds like even most. Many of them, a lot of them did. That, that, that believed on Christ, but for fear of losing their position... And getting kicked out of the synagogue. By the way, why would religious leaders be, con- be, con- be conflicted about surrendering themselves to Jesus? Because that synagogue was not a holy place to begin with. Yes, the synagogue in and of itself is a place that was meant to be holy. But we know that the chief rulers have been perverting that for God knows how long. That it was religion. It was no relationship. Me thinking, I- I'm like, man, I would... I'll go. Kick me out. I'm going to follow Christ anyway. But they had position. They had power. They had influence. Many of them had wealth. And they said, man, we believed on them, but we know the Pharisees are not going to have it. And so they didn't confess it. Last time I checked, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and what's that, Brother Greg? Confess with thy tongue the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you deny me before God, I will, or deny me before man, I will deny before God. Do you realize that that is the epitome of, you ever heard of the phrase blaspheming the Holy Spirit? The unpardonable sin? That's that moment where you are in a place where you are, that's the conviction of the Lord that's saying, come to me, surrender. And I'm saying, ah. And you may say, Pastor, that's a pretty big stretch to make. Is it? Let's look at the next verse. Verse 43. Read it with me, church. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Wow. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. I was in the ASC with Brother Michael. I said, Brother Mike, look at this verse. For they love the praise of man more than they love the praise of God. And I was like, that is so sad. That there are literally people in an eternal hell right now. Because God wasn't cool enough. Because our relationship with God wasn't prestigious enough. The power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. At that, I was at, we were at that young adult ministry again yesterday. And the pastor got up and he said, 
The same thing that I say all the time, which is I was beaming because I'm like, amen. The same power that saved your soul is the same power that God equips you to live a victorious Christian life. And they want power, yes, but they want power by the... See, Satan's a counterfeit, man. God offers you power. But it's just not going to be the same. It's not going to be by the world's standards. God will make you great. But just not by the world's standards. God's going to... We looked at it last week. The Bible says that, you know, that God... In Proverbs, he says, you know, and God will honor you. They want honor. But God, not, not God's honor. Not that way. Not the, not the one that means that you may not get the recognition here. Not the one that says you may be behind the scenes here. Not the one that says, hey, you won't see these rewards. You may not see these rewards until you're standing before God in heaven and, he's, and you're able to cast the crowns at his feet. You may not see it till then. And for so many people, that is not enough. Have you ever for real witnessed the blessings of God? Have you ever for real witnessed the favor of God? Have you ever for real witnessed the protection of God? Have you ever for real? See, because if you did, the world wouldn't interest you. If you have really tasted and seen that the Lord is good, the world will not interest you. Because to Xavier Small, and I hope this doesn't make me sound pious, but to Xavier Small, the world is a cheap counterfeit. It's a cheap counterfeit that's going to turn my neck green. Turn my hands green. Because the rings that they offer, the, the bedazzlement that the world offers is nothing more than rhinestones. And for so many of us, we settle for so much less than what God has given us. Which blows my mind. Many believed on him. Many believe in him. Romans 1.16 says, I am unashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm unashamed. Yet so many of us live unashamedly all the time. All the time. And that verse just broke my heart. Verse 44. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. On him that sent me. And so we find out here that believing on Jesus is actually believing in. Okay. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Now this next part tripped me up a little bit until he finishes what he says. Verse 47. And if any man hear my words and believe not. I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. So Jesus says, okay, I offer you these things, this light, whereas you don't have to dwell in darkness. Um, but if you reject me, cool. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not here to judge the world. I'm here to save it. But, verse 48, shall we? He that rejecteth me. And receiveth not my words, hath, not, hath one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. 
He gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. He says, I won't judge you. But the very same words that I'm giving you are going to be the very same words that judge you in the last day. It's not me. My job here is not to condemn, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For I came not into the world to condemn the world, but the world through me might be saved, right? He's like, my job here is not a condemning agent. The Holy Spirit's job here is a convicting agent, but not a condemning agent. But when God's turn rolls around, you reject my words. Why is it important that they don't reject his words? Because they're not his words, are they? Whose words are they? They're God's word. He that seeth me, verse 45 says, seeth him that sent me. Verse 50, and I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. I love how Christ so emphatically speaks about that even though I am God, even though I am the God-man, even though I am in the flesh, I answer to God. I talk to God. I speak to God. I hear from God. I do his will. I seek to see him glorified in my life. And what kills me is that if Jesus Christ, who is God, could subject himself to that and felt that he still had the need to subject himself. Imagine that. God having to subject himself to God. The Bible says that we are made a little lower than the angels. And if, if that's the case, where the Bible says that Christ was made above the angels, if that's the case, why do we think that what Christ did with his life, we're exempt from it? We don't have to pray. We don't have to spend time with God. We don't have to grow in our relationship with him. We don't have to seek him out. We don't have to abide by his will. We don't have to speak his words. We don't have to live a life that brings honor and glory to him. I mean, if Christ, who is God, had to subject himself to the will of God, why do we think we're any different? Why do we think we're any different? And he said, man, you're not rejecting my words. You are rejecting the words of God. I'm not here to judge. But God will one day. You will stand before an almighty God and he will judge you. Only God can judge me. I wouldn't boast about that. I wouldn't boast about that. Those, those trite expressions that people use all the time. I'm like, if you really spent time in your word, you would really see how dire and serious those statements are that you're making. Only God can judge me. God knows my heart. Yes, he will. And yes, he does. And you don't want that. You don't want that. Which is why David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Why? Because after that, he says, so that you'll be just when you judge me. It's important to realize that those are important. So I got six takeaways for you tonight. Six. You ready? Someone talk to me. You ready? Yeah. All right. Number one. Tend to your relationship with the light. Tend to your relationship with the light. The world walks in darkness because they don't have the Lord. You understand that, right? And just like Jesus was getting ready to leave the people, there will be a time when it is too late for us to be partakers as people, partakers of the light. Which is why if you don't know Christ, you have to realize that this has a time limit on it. And you need to get your soul satisfied. And if you don't know how to be saved, come see me. I'll be happy to share with you. And there are people in our church who are happy 
um, to to uh, to share with you. And if you're on the podcast and you listen later, contact me, and I'll be willing to help you uh, help you uh, get the sit, get the settle. But you're, there's a t- there's a ticking time bomb on this whole thing, y'all. And it's not very long. It's not very long. If you are saved, make sure you're right with him. If Christ came back today, what condition would he find you in? What condition would he find you in? Someone was making a joke today. I was having a meeting in my office and with a couple of men, a couple of contractors actually. And they're both believers. And they were kidding. They were their longtime friends. So they were kind of joking around with each other. And the one was like, man, you lying in the church. And he's like, you lying in the church? He's like, I'm not in the church. I'm in the pastor's office. He said, well, what do you think this is? This is part of the church, right? And he said something like that. He said, well, he, then they, they, they dragged me in. He's like, well, you're the righteous one, pastor, right? Kind of picking, picking on me a little bit. And he's like, I'm not ready yet. You're ready, you're ready to go. I'm not ready to go. And that was funny. We chuckled. But are you ready to go? If he came and he found you today, would he find you ready? Remember the parable in the Bible? About the wedding that was going to happen? And those, uh, those women were out there with their lanterns. The ten virgins, thank you. They're out there with their lanterns waiting for the bridegroom to come. But there ends up being some of the women who, uh, they must not have had enough oil and didn't bring back up, right? And so they say, hey, lend me some of your oil, right? And they're like, no, get your own. And so they leave to go and grab some oil and come back. But what happens? While they're gone, the bridegroom comes. And those ten virgins enter into the marriage supper. And they come back and they're locked out because they weren't ready. Because they weren't ready. As a believer, you may not, as a believer, you, you may not be locked out. But remember that your riches are not for here. You understand that, right? Your riches, are, your riches are, are not for here. And I want to be able to stand before God and God say to Xavier Small, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I fear that for many of us, we'll stand before God and he'll say like that one man who had the talent, who buried it in the sand. And he said, you know, depart from me. You're a sluggard. You didn't do anything with what I gave you. And so many of us as believers are wasting our gifts. Well, that's because we haven't tended to our relationship with the light. Don't let him catch you slipping. How will he find you? Number one, tend to your relationship with the light. Number two, eyes don't mean you can see. Having eyes do not mean that you can see. It was actually a few chapters back where... um, Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, remember, he was saying, you profess yourselves to be able to see, and that's the reason why you can't. Remember we were talking about that? And we see here uh, in the passage, we're in verse 39, where he was saying, 
He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. The worst thing that I think happens to believers is we develop a seared conscience. Do you know what it means to have a seared conscience? Who knows what that means? To have a seared conscience. It's like, it's like a, a callus. I'm teaching guitar to several people right now. And um, as we're playing, I see my student do this. He's playing and he just rubbing his fingers because his fingers hurt. Well, I've been playing guitar for the last 11 years. And so I can play, I, I've got to be playing for like hours for my fingers to start to even remotely begin to hurt. Why? Because I built up a callus on my fingertips where it was once, sen uh, once tender and sensitive, it's now calloused over. I don't, I don't even have fingertip, finger, uh, fingerprints on the tips of my fingers. It's just nasty looking callous things. On the opposite end of that spectrum, that is not a place that you want to be as a child of God. <coughs> to have a seared conscience. Did you know that God's grace has a limit? Do you know that, this, that scripture's teaching that the Holy Spirit has a limit? That if you push him away from your life enough, he will just let you be. He will just let you be. And that is one of the worst things that can happen to you as a believer. Eyes don't mean that you can see. They don't. It's crazy how Jesus did miracles for them and they still did not believe. And the truth is, the people don't believe because what? They just don't want to believe. They don't want to believe. As a child of God, God will show and reveal things to you. And we may not accept it or pay attention to it. But that does not mean that God has not shown us things. It is wrong for you to ask for signs and wonders when he has already showed you. You understand? That's like when you tell your kid no and they ask you anyway. When you set restrictions and they ask for it and they ask you anyway. Where God may reveal to stuff. By the way, if God is, is clear on something in his word, do not ask. Do not ask. God is not going to act contrary to his word. And yet so many times we say, well, man, may, hopefully God will make an exception for me. Maybe if I covet my neighbor's wife this one time, he may let me have it and be okay with it. We got to quit with the Swiss cheese theology with the, chew up, with the chew up the meat and spit out the bones, that's not the, that's not the way that it works. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, for correction and righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished, perfect unto all good works. We need the whole counsel of the word. Right. And for some of us, we want to we wanna just, we, we think because we've got eyes, but I, must, I hear it like at least five times a week. So God knows my heart. Please stop saying that. Stop it. Just because you have eyes don't mean that you can see. What is it that God is showing you that he has revealed to you that you're just, by the way, no is an answer to prayer. Right. You understand that, right? People don't realize that, that no is an answer to prayer. Not right now is an answer to prayer. Well, God just hasn't answered me yet. No, he's answered. Will you listen? Will you hear? Will you see? But at the same time, 
on the other side of this issue is what is it that you don't believe that he'll do? What is it? I hear it all the time. God, do for me what you've done for so-and-so. But for many of us, we, there are things in our lives that we don't, it's like we don't believe that he'll do it for us. That he'll heal or cleanse or forgive or provide. That he can take care of your needs. What is it? Their eyes were blind and their hearts were hardened. I've heard it several times over where people said, I just thought God gave up on me. And I can think about all kinds of scriptures that go against that. How about I will never leave thee nor forsake thee? Lo, I have commanded thee, be of a good cheer. For I will, you know, I will, for I, lo, I'm with you until the end of the world. When my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. We think about, you know, all the, I mean, there's a bunch of different stuff in there. That talks about how he does what he does because he's always done what he does. And so many times we think that for some reason it's, it's, it's not for me. He won't do for me. As a, as a child of God, he's not. What, is he, what does the scripture even say? I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if a child asks for bread, will you give him a stone? If he says he's hungry, will you give him a serpent? He said, if your earthly father can take care of you, what do you think that I can do? The cat on a thousand hills. Their eyes were blind and their hearts were hardened. Just because you have eyes don't mean you can see. Number three, is Jesus cool enough for you? Is Jesus cool enough for you? One of the things that I've really been working on, church, is trying to make sure that Jesus is enough for me. Is constantly and actively working to make sure that Jesus is enough for me. Pastor, what do you mean? I am, a, I am the kind of person where though there be, be times where I have needs, I am content to have just Christ. I really am. I, and I know that's, that's hard to say and I hope it doesn't sound boastful, but it's a lot, that, a lot of work. A lot of not being content is what work got me to that place. But I'm like, whatever. And if you know me, you know I'm a pretty simple guy. You know what I'm saying? It, it is what it is. I'm blessed either way. But for me, it's the consequential um, aspect of it. Lord, let breaking your heart be a high enough consequence for me. Let lack of blessing and protection from you be a big enough consequence for me. What I'm tempted through, whatever kind of temptation it may be, anger or bitterness or lust or envy or whatever may, whatever may try to swing into my mind that day. That I would not succumb to whatever that temptation is because Christ and breaking that fellowship with him is a big enough consequence for me. I was sharing earlier today, or sorry, last night, I was saying God punishes me in a very unique way. I say punish. Anyone want to know what that is? Um, God punishes me in a very unique way. The way that God punishes me that really gets to me the most is when he uses me in spite of me. Does that make sense? Let me explain. I remember a day where I was having the worst attitude. You ever ever just have days where you're just a grump? 
just grumpy, got a, an attitude, maybe even mean-spirited a little bit, and you're just not being Christ-like at all. And that was the same day where I was able to cross paths with someone just randomly. And from my little New Testament Bible, I was able to lead someone to the Lord. And they bowed their head and trusted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And just while my way home, just tears. Because, like, Lord, why me? Like, I've ne- I did not deserve to be used for something so big. And you used me anyway. And so for me, I really try to work on, like, man, is, is Christ cool enough for me? By the way, he'll never be vogue. You understand that, right? It'll never be vogue. The world, as you can see, moves in waves where you'll have waves of celebrities who make proclamations and stuff like that. But those, a lot of those are filled with very, very dark times after those as well. And no, I'm not Tim Tebow who broke Google's record for the most times John 3.16 was Googled in a, in a single setting. Or the newest athlete to profess Christ as their savior or celebrity or although that's not me. Is he enough for you in season and out of season? Is the question. Number four. What do you love more? The praise of man or the praise of God? What do you love more? Because the answer to that question will dictate the way that you have lived your life this week. With your family, with your friends, with your co-workers, with the people who don't go to Orlando Baptist Temple. Do you love the praise of God more than you love the praise of man or is it vice versa? Because no big brother isn't watching. And I don't, know, I don't know how many of you guys live your lives on a, on a week-to-week basis or day-to-day basis. I don't know. And ultimately, it's none of my business. I'm here to convey the message and go home. But is your life one that says, Lord, it's you over everyone. You over everything. You over every possession. You over every circumstances. Or does every time something raise itself up in your life... God takes a back burner. God takes the back burner. Who do you love more? The praise of man or the praise of God? Because to be honest with us, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of us walk around looking like demons. Looking like demons. Imagine the fact that hell is filled with a bunch of people who chose man's praise over God. Number five, you don't have to dwell in darkness. You don't have to dwell in darkness. Verse 46 of this chapter says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Is darkness consuming you? Your mind, your thoughts, actions. Why is that the case if that is? 
If God says that I'm the light and if, I, if you believe in me, I'm going to eradicate the darkness from your life, then why are you there? And if you, if you read through the scriptures, you'll find that Jesus is a proponent of bringing light to everything. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So if you're in the dark, no pun intended, he brings light to it. Not knowledge, not being in the dark with love, nothing, ever. He said, I am the light and the life. I bring those things to you. You do not have to dwell in darkness. And number six, and lastly, number one, I said, tend to your relationship with the light. Number two, eyes don't mean you can see. Number three, is Jesus cool enough for you? Number four, what do you love more, the praise of man or the praise of God? Number five, you don't have to dwell in darkness. And number six, and lastly, there is no believing in God if there is no believing in Jesus. There is no believing in God if there's no believing in Jesus. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. We're even talking about a, a, a few chapters ago, maybe around chapter 7, I think, maybe. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Where Jesus was literally saying that if you say that you believe in God but you don't believe in me well then that's not a real that's not a thing a lot of the world is like well I have my own relationship with God have you ever heard that one I have my own relationship with God but there is no relationship with Jesus well let me tell you this if there is no relationship with Jesus you have no relationship with God you cannot accept God you cannot accept the father and not accept the son they work together. I call these two passages together all the time. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. No one can come to the Son unless the Father compels him. They work together in tandem. So for people who be like, oh, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. But I'm like, oh, I'm not sure what God you believe in. He will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Lord, Lord, uh, don't call me that. He speaks the truth from God. He does the assignment that God gave him. The world says that there's no Jesus, but they believe in God, and that cannot work. But if you believe him, then why don't any of those other things apply to you? Why don't you believe that he's doing God's work in your life? That his truth is God's truth. That his assignment is from God. Is, is that how your relationship is? A relationship that's with God, but there's no Jesus. <clears throat> there's no Jesus. Someone who is actively trying to live a victorious Christian life will see how it is all interconnected. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. And the Word, capital W, was with God. And the Word, capital W, was God. Right? And the Word, capital W, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, even the glory of the only begotten of the Father. We flip over to 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, which says, There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the 
capital W, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are, it is all interconnected. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have one without the other. Listen to me. A relationship that is in pursuit of God without having any relation to Jesus is vain. Is vain. In apologetics, and I'll tell you this and we'll be done. In an apologetics course, we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, how to, um, the understanding about God and the revelation that God gives us. You have what's called general revelation and then you have what's called special revelation. General rev- revelation is a is what a lot of the world has, right? A lot of the world has a general revelation, which is a belief in some kind of higher power, right? An intelligent design. If you look across the world, uh, church, not just in America, but across the world, everyone is trying to worship something, right? It's either God or it's the sun God or it's the cow or it's the river or it's earth or it's man. But looks to some, there's a power struggle going on in the world right now, which is not really a power struggle if you know what I mean. But I digress. And there's that general revelation that believe that there is something higher up there, which I believe the world and the universe emphatically points to an intelligent design, to an ultimate creator. Another topic for another day. But then you have what's called special revelation, which means that a belief in God is not enough. A special revelation is the belief in Jesus. And how a belief, a general revelation in God won't save you, whereas a special revelation in Christ does. And I believe that it's done on purpose. Where Christ subjects himself to the will of God and says, hey, if you reject me, you're not just rejecting me, you're rejecting the word, you're rejecting God. You're rejecting the words of God. You're rejecting the commandment of God. I am just a conduit by which he is bringing these things to you. Hear me because in hearing me, you're hearing him. You're hearing him. And then what did he tell the Pharisees? He said, you are of your father the devil. Because if God, if Abraham was your father, you would have believed in me. Because Abraham believed in me. And there's no way that you believe in God if you don't believe in me. Because God is the one that sent me. He keeps saying it over and over and over again. This won't be the last time he does. Where he said, this is, you, this is what I, this commandment that I bring you, not from my own lips, but from the mouth of God. Are both present in your relationship. You see the stand right here? Why is this stand able to stand? Because how many legs are on it? And you, can you see from there? Who can tell me? How many legs are on this, this stand right here? Three. Three. There are three. If I removed any one of those legs, will this stand stand? No. Looking through scripture, study your word, man. And you'll see that they all have specific functions. Of course, they are triune. They are the, the Godhead three in one. But you have each of them that have specific purposes and they all play a role actively in your life. God who has created a will for you. Christ who made that will possible to achieve because the, the same power that raised him is the same power 
that empowers you to do it and the Holy Spirit, which is a guiding mechanism to help you see it done. And not only does that, but seals you into the day of redemption like a belt that keeps your salvation latched for you. Are you acknowledging the fact that all three of them play a role in whether you live a victorious Christian life or not? It's important. It's the Holy Spirit that may be convicting you right now of something that you're lacking or guiding you or whatever it may be. It's the will of God that you're pursuing in your life. It's the power and the blood of Christ that you are drawing on to be victorious every day. They all work and your tripod will not stand if any of those elements are missing. Your foundation is not full and your building will crumble. What's your relationship with God like? Something to think about. Let's pray.